Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. Good morning, City Light. How are we doing? Good morning, good morning. Hey, if you're new, please fill out the Connect card on your seat, and uh, we'd love to give you a gift in exchange to help learn more about you um, and to help you on your spiritual journey wherever you might be in that particular regard. Also, as always, there's a QR code on that card to let you know about the events coming up so that you can be informed at all times. A few quick things for you as well. Uh, We have an internship this summer, and so if you are here and you would like to be an intern or you know someone that's coming home from college, they need something productive to do over the summer, uh, instead of playing video games all day, please send them to us. We will uh, put them to work in good ways. Uh, So if you're an intern or like to be an intern, please connect with Jess or Taylor, Jess at wearecitylight.org. We would love to have you here uh, to see what the Lord might want to do in your life. Another quick thing is a reminder that our conference is coming up June 3rd and 4th, the Heroes in Heaven conference, uh, discussing uh, out-of-this-world solutions to in-this-world problems and how do we navigate what does it look like to be a Christian on the earth and what, what, what is the apologetic, really, of the way of God, um, which is so helpful, and I really hope you bring maybe some friends or family members who are considering things like this to say, we all want heaven on earth. It's what everybody wants. Joy, peace, unity, love, you know. Uh, You just got to know how to get it. And so this is what we're all after. And so I really want to be able to help not only us see that, but our friends and family members who maybe don't understand Christianity yet to see how they were designed to want certain outcomes. But you have to have the right means to get the outcomes that you want. And that's what it's going to look like for us to discuss at the conference. The final thing as well is that our Lighthouse Leader Training is in June. So if you are here and you would ever even consider being a lighthouse leader or just want to learn more about being a leader in that way, uh, you don't start a lighthouse right after you're done with it, so no worries. But it's in June, every Sunday at the 11 o'clock service so that the kids area is provided for you so that you can come to uh, be trained in that way. So if you want to get involved in that, next uh, June, in June, for four weeks, we're going to train you on how to be a lighthouse leader. Uh, lighthouses are really the essential thing at City Light, how we um, have community, how we show love to one another, how we pray for each other, how we know each other's lives. Uh, it's the church broken down into small enough parts so that you can really get involved in people's lives. Our lighthouses serve our communities well. Um, they're so vitally important. So if you're not here, we'd love, if you're not in part one, we'd love to get you involved in one. But also if you think you might want to lead one one day, uh, please join us for the training in June at the 11 o'clock service, uh, more than likely in the conference room. Uh, so that we can help you walk through that. Now, today we're going back to our First Thessalonians series more and more. Just remember, we are talking about what does it mean to continue to do the good work God has called us to do. The Lord has been so faithful. We've enjoyed so much fruit, and we want to continue to see that happen. And so the way forward is not by doing something new, but by doing the same things more and more, over and over and over and over again, as we've discussed To do more is not to do more things, it's to do the right things over and 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 over again. That's what it looks like to be a faithful church and a faithful Christian. Uh, The other day I was at a track meet for my oldest child and there was a kid, there were, you know, all these kids, it's so funny when you get old like me and you're like, man, it's like 12 year old kids, you know. And uh, they're walking by and, and I just remember I was listening to their conversation, you know, Lots of things 12-year-olds would talk about. And uh, one, of the, one of the kids goes, hey, what was your time in the 200? 
200 meter race. And the kid looks at him and says, I don't know, I wasn't paying attention. And I thought to myself, the only thing that matters in track is your time. That's it. That's the only thing. What do, you, what do you mean? You weren't paying attention. Like, that is literally the only thing that matters. You should just quit. This doesn't make any sense. You're not, you're not paying attention. Are you fast? Are you slow? I guess it doesn't matter. You're just out here to have fun. Who runs for fun? This is crazy. I don't understand this. This doesn't make any sense. And so, uh, and I just remember contemplating that and thinking how true of it is, though, of our lives uh, the important question is, how are we living our life? And sometimes if we're honest, we say, well, I don't really know. I'm not paying attention. I'm just kind of living my life, you know, just kind of doing my thing, going to church, being a good Christian, you know, whatever it is, living my life. And what we're attempting to do and what Paul wants us to do is to help us pay close attention to the time, to pay close attention to how we are spending our days to pay close attention to certain aspects and areas of our life that are of great importance. And so that's what he's calling us to now. So whether you're here for the first time, whether you're not a Christian, you're seeking these things out, whether you've been following Jesus for 50 years, we all have the same need is to pay close attention to how we are living our lives. And some of you might need to realize that Jesus loves you, died for you, and to pay close attention for your life is to believe and trust in him, which I hope you see that today. And for many of us, you're going to see to pay close attention to your, to your life is going to require some changes in your life so that you can live the way God intends for you to live. So we're in chapter 4. So go ahead and open your Bible, 1 Thessalonians 4. Let's go. All right. We have two verses today. Uh, we're talking about the will of God for work and generally for the life he wants us to lead. Verse 11 says this, And aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. Or a better way would be mind your own business. Mind your own business, you know? Okay, that's the force of that, all right? And to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. You know, I thought this was a very interesting text since uh, nobody has any goals to live quietly. Nobody minds their own business and hardly anybody works with their hands anymore. And so... This would be uh, three very important things for us to consider, uh, especially in our modern world. What does it look like to live like this in the world that we live in now? So remember, as we want to connect this to the previous passage, God's will for work is connected to God's will for our relationships, which we discussed verses 9 and 10. It's connected to God's will for our entire life, which we discussed in verse 3, holiness. And so your work, not just at your job, but your work in life, is an act of holy love. It is the outcome of pursuing a life of holiness and living a life of love. So to work hard is the outcome of being holy and living to love others. It's not simply to maintain a status quo or to provide in ways that are necessary in this world, which are important, but it is an act of holy love. It is the outcome of caring about holiness and wanting to live a life of love to others. As a matter of fact, as we learn, and all, we, we all know that working is actually a great means by which God makes us holy. To work creates discipline, patience, endurance, love, all these decent things that are necessary that get tested in your work life, whether that's work at job, or you're working to love and care for your family, whatever you're working towards. So I want you to see this definition here of 
work. And what, what he's after is this kind of broad definition of not only your job, but your life. And so here's what I want us to get from this passage, four particular aspects. I want you to write this down. It's called the power of a normal life. Quiet, focused, diligent, and respectful. That's going to what we see here is the, the power of a normal life. It's like how we talk about like the extraordinary of the ordinary. What we talked about last week was what you call mundane, God calls faithful. We start to put the right words on the kind of life God wants us to live. And within this quiet, normal life is going to be aspects of radical obedience. So the power of a normal life, quiet, focused, diligent, and respectful. This is what God is after for us. This is the will of God for your life. This is what it looks like to live the life God has called you to live. It is also what it looks like to have a powerful life. And many of us don't associate power with normal. But when it's in God's hands, that's exactly the case. And so I want us to think well about how God intends for us to live our life. So the first part is this, a quiet life. He says in verse 11, and aspire to live quietly. What a funny phrase. Or that you could put the word be ambitious. Be ambitious to be quiet. <laughs> Nobody would ever, that's not a sentence. That's not, that don't make any sense. Be, be ambitious to not be ambitious. Like, be ambitious to be quiet. And I think this is where we're going to learn a lot about what real ambition looks like. Uh, the word quietly here could also be translated something like peaceably. So it has a lot more than what you would think about in terms of the word quiet. It's more about a way of life that blesses the world around you. To be ambitious, the Bible's teaching us, is to lead a quiet, peaceable life. And through that life, you make the biggest difference. So here's a point for us to understand. Biblically speaking, a quiet life isn't the opposite of ambition, but the outcome of ambition. See what I'm saying? Biblically speaking. So take the word ambition and make it holy. Take the word ambition and put God's definition on it, not the world's definition. Take the word ambition, being, being zealous, energetic to accomplish certain ends, and a quiet life isn't the opposite of ambition, which would what we would naturally think. We would think a quiet life is the opposite of ambition, but the Bible's going to teach us that a quiet life is the outcome of ambition, to channel your zeal and energy towards a focused, specific way of life is exactly what the Bible is talking about when in terms of living passionately and zealously for a particular end in mind. Therefore, the quiet life isn't the opposite of ambition. But the outcome of ambition, and this is a, a switch many of us need to make in terms of we think ambition is to be frantically busy and hurried to accomplish certain ends. To always be zealous to be great or whatever it might be. And the, the Bible doesn't teach ambition like that. So the quiet life isn't the opposite of ambition. It's actually the outcome of ambition. It's you channeling your energy towards the most important work that God has called you to, which requires focus, patience, and diligence. Let me, get, let me help you real quick. So first, a quiet life does not mean a silent life, okay? Let's just use the Bible. Obviously, the Bible and Paul and everybody telling us to be bold constantly, okay? There's lots of talking in the Bible, okay? Share the gospel, be bold, put yourself out there, take risk. 
So obviously a quiet life isn't, isn't a, 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 a quiet life in terms of being silent or being indifferent. That's clearly not what he's talking about. And so if you think that's what quiet means, to kind of back out, to be detached, to not put your opinion forward, to let people just do whatever, that's not what he's talking about. Quiet also doesn't mean lazy or indifferent. He's not telling them to detach themselves from the world and to mind their own business in that way. Obviously, he just says, hey, work with your hands. Paul is very concerned in his letters about work. Very concerned. He says people who don't provide for their families are worse than unbelievers. Like, you need to work. You need to work and provide. You need to, you need to put your life towards something. You need to bless the world by using your skills for some particular effort. Work is very important to Paul. So quiet doesn't mean lazy and different. Quiet doesn't mean silent and not speaking. Quiet doesn't mean detached. Quiet means determined. It's focused. A quiet life is a life that is peaceful, focused, deep, thoughtful, long-lasting, hardworking. These are some aspects of the quiet life, which, as we see in our culture, is the opposite of the kind of life the world is tempting you to lead or wants to lead. The world is leading a frantic, unfocused, distracted unthoughtful, not helpful, short-lived way of life. That's how the world works around you, generally speaking. There's hardly anything deeply thoughtful about what happens on social media, okay? I'm not saying social media is bad, but it's certainly not the place for thoughtfulness, you know? You're not going to cultivate a thoughtful life by spending time on social media. You're just not. This is not how we're, you're not going to cultivate a thoughtful life by listening to only particular types of news channels or the things that you're not going to cultivate a thoughtful, deeply thoughtful life. That's not going to happen with the way the world works around you. That's not what the world wants even to accomplish. The world is getting in tribes. They have echo chambers in the tribes and everybody just shouts within the tribe that they're in as opposed to creating a deeply thoughtful life about how things work, what we should do, how we should live our life. The world is constantly distracted, and God is calling us to be a people of focus. The world is constantly at war, and God is calling us to be a people of peace. The world is constantly thinking shallow, and God is calling us to be a people of deep thought. The world loves flashing the pans, one-hit wonders, and God is calling us to long-lasting work. This is what it means to live the quiet life. And here's the problem with the Thessalonians. They had gotten so caught up with exciting things that they stopped attending to their daily task. And this is the temptation, especially of Generation Z and everybody. They got so caught up with the exciting things that they no longer attended to their daily task. They're just, whoa, where's the next fun? You know, like, what's the big thing coming? And they're particularly even excited about the return of Christ, but they'd gotten the return of Christ so confusing, they're like, well, I'm just not even going to worry about the bills I got to pay. Jesus is coming back, you know? Who needs to pay rent when Jesus is coming back? Yeah. Who needs to go to work when Jesus is coming back? This is great. I'm just going to sit here and wait for Jesus to come back. Pass me some bread. You know, like there's, we got to work to get the bread. You know, this doesn't make any sense. So this is, they're, they're so focused on these, these things like this and so living for these exciting moments in life that they had forgotten to attend to their daily task. And they began, and even Greek culture in that day, began to dismiss doing menial tasks as under or beneath a person. So as we're going to see about this hard work, work with your hands was a big deal. That's why he's talking about it. But I wonder how many of you and how many of 
how many of us are addicted to an entertained, exciting life and completely unable to actually live the quiet life? If you are addicted to being entertained, it will be impossible for you to be quiet. Impossible. Now, I just want you to see, once again, the dangers of, of scrolling. If you're addicted to being entertained and you just have to keep going, it's going to be impossible for you to live the quiet life. If you're addicted to needing a sports thing to watch or something on TV or to go somewhere to have some experience or whatever, it's going to be impossible for you to live the quiet life. The world is full of entertainment, and God is calling us to not be those who are entertained constantly. This is going to take a lot of discipline. Here's something you must realize, for those of you in the rooms who are Christian, that you cannot live the Christian life without the quiet life, okay? This isn't personality-based. This isn't preference-based. Even for me personally, the quiet life is not something that comes naturally to me, okay? I like to get things done. I obviously like to talk. I'm up here right now, you know? Like, uh, the quiet life isn't the, the natural disposition of Nate Cruz's lifestyle, and so I have to constantly remember and be reminded that it is a necessary aspect of the Christian life. You cannot live the Christian life without the quiet life, and I'm going to give you some reasons now as to why this is the case. First, the quiet life allows you to truly love God. Because to grow in your relationship with God requires listening to him, speaking to him, giving time to hear from him, specifically requires reading the Bible, which is where he has spoken to us. It requires deep thought on the things that God has said. You cannot build a relationship with someone without spending time with them. It is simply impossible. And the key of the Christian life is a relationship with God. We always have to remind of this day, it's not a religion that I practice. The key to my Christian life isn't church or serving or any of those things which are wonderful. But the key to my Christian life is a relationship. Therefore, to do all of the other things without fostering the relationship is to miss out on the essence of being a Christian. So if I do everything I'm supposed to do except spending time with God and fostering a relationship with him, I've negated the very thing that makes me a Christian. Going to churches doesn't make you a Christian. Serving the poor doesn't make you a Christian. A relationship with Jesus through faith in his life, death, and resurrection makes you a Christian. And then loving him, spending time with him, cultivating a relationship with him, hearing from him, speaking back to him in prayer, those are the things that make you a Christian. It's the essence of the Christian life, which you simply cannot do if you constantly need to be entertained. I want you to see how much the way of the world is nullifying and numbing your ability to actually do the thing that gives you life and to practice Christianity. Because practicing Christianity doesn't mean you're always busy doing Christian things. A non-Christian can be busy doing Christian-type things. But a non-Christian cannot cultivate a relationship with Jesus because you need faith and you need the blood of Jesus to cover your sins so you have access to God. I wonder how many things in your life could somebody that doesn't believe Jesus do? Or are you prioritizing the very thing that makes you a Christian? which is to believe and to trust in Jesus and to have a personal relationship with God. I don't know how many of you are in this room that are used to practicing religion and maybe today God is calling you into a personal relationship to say he loves you, 
and going to church won't save your soul, and serving the poor won't save your soul, and being a nice person won't save your soul, but Jesus will save your soul. And if you believe and trust in him, today can be the day of your salvation. Don't trust in your good works or in your efforts to be a Christian. Trust in Jesus and his cross and resurrection. So the quiet life allows you to love God. I want you to see how essential this is. You cannot love God without pursuing him in the quiet place. You cannot cultivate a relationship with God without spending time with him. So a quiet life is a necessary aspect of the Christian life. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the quiet life allows you to love others. So it allows you to love God because you're present with him. It allows you to love others because you are not ambitious for anything more than that. You see what I'm saying? Now you love people, you don't use them because you're not ambitious for anything beyond them. To love them is the end for which God made you. You see what I'm saying? I love God. What are they? The greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what? To love your neighbor as yourself. So what should we be ambitious for? Those two things. I should be ambitious to love God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I should channel all of my energy, passion, and zeal unto this end that I would love God that I would cultivate a relationship with God, that I would grow in my understanding and knowledge of God, that I would progress in my feelings towards God. And then the second is like to love your neighbor as yourself. So my ambition is to love. And because I am not ambitious for anything more than that, I can truly love the person in front of me. But if I'm ambitious to be something else, the person in front of me will be a means by which I pursue a different end. I will use them, not love them. You cannot live the Christian life without the quiet life. Because if you are ambitious for anything more than loving God and loving others, then you will be ungodly in your ambition. And you will not even be able to do those very two things. You should consider in your heart, are you ambitious for something more than loving your neighbor? It's like those people you talk to that are always looking around you instead of at you, you know? Where's the, where's the next thing, you know? We do that practically in conversations. We also do that in life because we are ambitious for something other than loving the person in front of me. And if I don't love them, I will use them. That's just how it works. You cannot live the Christian life without a quiet life that helps you love God. You cannot live the Christian life without a quiet life that helps you love others. How do you love others? By bearing their burdens, right? By being present in the moment, by just showing up, by not being concerned about the next thing, by not having FOMO because you're missing out on something else because you're loving a person and suffering. It takes a deeply cultivated life to pull that off. You're not just going to wake up tomorrow and be that kind of person because the world's not training you to be that kind of person. So if we're not working on that together, we're not going to be those kinds of people. It doesn't just happen. The world doesn't create people who love God and love others. It doesn't happen. And so if we don't work on it together in this place, in our lighthouses with one another, we we won't grow. Okay, so you cannot live the Christian life without the quiet life. It allows you to love God. The second thing is it allows you to love others. The third thing is it allows you to work hard. Why? Because you're focused 
And when I'm not ambitious for anything other than the things God has called me to be ambitious for, then everything I do has meaning and it is significant. Therefore, there is nothing too menial for me to do. And the task at hand is the most important thing I could give my attention to. It is not beneath me, below me, not annoy me. You know, this thing at hand is significant why? Because I'm not ambitious for something greater than the less task, than the, the most menial task. Because there's nothing better about me or you that deserves to avoid those kinds of things and to say, okay, now I can work hard because I recognize that my work, obviously as long as it's holy work, you know, like not, not, not the kind of work that leads people into sin, but any work that blesses the world, that, that, that makes a profit, any of these things that are helpful to the world, obviously so many things. Holy work is not minister work. Okay, I'm just clarifying. That's definitely one of them, hopefully. But uh, there's a million ways to, to bless the world, to use your skills. Many of you are doing that so well. But the way that you live the quiet Christian life is to live the quiet life because when you live the quiet life, you can focus on the work in front of you because you're not ambitious for something greater than the task God has given you today. Therefore, I can focus. It's not something more important for me to do than the thing I am currently doing, even if it feels beneath me. Okay, to live the quiet life allows you to cultivate contentment. To be with God in the quiet place allows you to lessen jealousy. To spend less time on social media is going to help you not compare as much to other people. You're going to begin to grow to appreciate the things you are given. In the quiet place, you can detox from your desire to compare to other people's lives, and you can begin to be thankful for the life God has given you. The quiet place begins to rid you and to help you uh, navigate the realities of your soul to say, yes, I am a very jealous person and I am only feeding my jealousy by these things that I am doing and so I am going to the Lord and I'm going to make it my ambition to love God and to love others, to cultivate a relationship with God so that I don't even have time and mental space to worry about the people around me and how well they're doing in comparison to me. The quiet life is going to force you to, to deal with the struggles of your own heart, which you ignore a lot, okay? You guys know that. One of the reasons why we don't do this is because we don't want to avoid ourselves. If I just don't think about it, I don't have to deal with it. And so if I'm busy enough, I don't have to think about it. And that's the kid with the 200 meters, just not paying attention. Living your life but not paying attention. And if you can stay busy enough, and here's the trick, if you can stay busy enough doing Christian things, then you'll never have to deal with yourself. And if you don't deal with yourself, you won't grow. How can you confess then that you're not aware of, you know? The quiet life is the very place where you learn these things about yourself, where you begin to force via discipline, an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to raise contentment. I, I won't make progress in, with contentment until I deal with my discontentment. And I won't deal with my discontentment until I sit long enough and think about the fact that I'm so discontent. You see what I'm saying? So you're just running around doing all these things, and you call it growth, but your soul is shrinking. Because you're not dealing with the realities of your heart. So the quiet place allows you to deal with the realities of your heart and particularly to cultivate contentment. The quiet place also allows you to be less anxious. 
Less anxious because you are not in the know about all the Twitter fights as much as you were. Less anxious because you're not hurried to jump on the TikTok trend just like you were yesterday. Less anxious because you're not constantly checking to see if your follower count has gone up on Instagram. Less anxious because you are less aware of all the trouble in the world. You were never meant to bear the burdens of every bad thing that happens in the world every day. It's killing you. It's killing you. It's killing you to find out every day every awful thing that's happening in the world. You know the only person who's supposed to know all that? is God. (laughs) It's killing you. You don't need to do that. It's killing you to be so anxious. And now in the quiet place, the Lord wants to relieve some of that so you can learn to trust him. The quiet place allows you to build a productive life that stays over the long haul instead of a one-hit wonder life that splashes and fades away. These are the realities of the quiet life. And this is what the Lord says to be ambitious for So the power of the normal life, the quiet life. The next thing is a focused life. He says here to mind your own affairs, or like I said, I'm using the ESV because that's what we have in our journals, and I love the ESV. Uh, But you could technically translate this to mind your own business, which I think hits, hits better. It hits stronger than mind your own affairs. So Paul says to mind your own business. Now, first, mind your own business does not mean to not be involved in other people's lives or to keep to yourself, okay? So we need a quiet life doesn't mean silent. To mind your own business doesn't mean to keep to yourself. Obviously not. Let's use the Bible. Philippians 2 says to put other people's interests above your own. Basically to put other people's business ahead of your business. Galatians 6 says to bear one another's burdens. Well, how could you do that if you're not minding someone else's business, you know? 1 John 1 says to confess your sins to one another. That's pretty deep. I mean, obviously we are involved in each other's business. The Christian life is a communal one. We are very involved. We often mind one another's business in a positive way. So what's the difference? How do I be super involved in other people's lives and mind my own business? What does that look like? What does Paul mean? Well, uh, let's just see it in within the context of the passage. So the first thing he says is to make it your ambition to live quietly or peaceably. And then the sentence that follows after mind your own business is to work with your hands. So I think there's two aspects of mind your own business. The first is this, to mind your own business is to not disturb the peace, like gossip. It's one thing to confess your sins to one another, it's another thing to use it as a weapon against one another. To mind your own business is to keep the peace So gossiping would be a great example of not minding your own business. And then he says you must work hard. Therefore, to mind your own business is to take care of your affairs, not to ignore them. So you mind your own business by pursuing peace and creating environments of peace. Therefore, getting rid of gossip, slander, all these different things, jealousy, discontentment, all those different things that make you nosy in other people's lives, always wanting to hear about what other people are doing. Those are the things that destroy the peace. And so he says, okay, you need to live quietly, mind your own business, which means you need to keep to yourself in that sense while you also give yourself to others. This requires the word maturity. It requires maturity to be able to confess sins to one another and not gossip. That requires maturity. This is what the Lord is calling us to. So mind your own business is to take care of your affairs. So that's why I'm saying you're not working and you should work. Mind your own business, get to work. And mind your own business by talking well about one another. Mind your own business by not being nosy in people's lives. Mind your own business by keeping the peace and not disturbing the peace by the way you interact. To mind your own business. So this is the important thing. 
the goal of minding your own business is to help others. So the better I mind my own business, the more peace I create in the world around me. The better I mind my own business, the less I dependent I am on you. And so now, this is, the, this is the way I can help you. This is the way we help each other. As I mind my own business, I take care of my own affairs, I'm responsible, therefore I can bless and serve you. That's what he's calling each of us to. And then obviously we have seasons in life where things hit the fan and we're there for each other and we encourage one another. There are times when it makes it very difficult to live this out, but you mind your own business so you can help other people, not so you can stay away from them. This is the point that he's trying to make. Now here's the question for you and for me. Are you so caught up in minding other people's business that you haven't minded your own? This is the world we live in when you can know what everybody's doing all the time. Are you so caught up in minding other people's business that you haven't minded your own or looking at other people's lives so that you haven't lived your own? To mind someone else's business to an ungodly extent is going to negate your ability to live your own life for the good of those around you. Are you so caught up in minding other people's business that you haven't minded your own, looking at other people's lives without living your own, reading Instagram captions without making your own, gossiping about other people's sins without repenting of your own, working to become like someone else instead of working hard to provide for your own? Are we minding our own business or are we too busy minding other people's business? Are you living someone else's life or are you living your own life? 2 Thessalonians 3.11, this is a theme that he's working his way throughout these books. He says, for we hear that some among you walk in idleness. Listen, what a phrase. Not busy at work, but busy bodies. This is a catchy sentence, all right? This is... Paul's got that too. Not busy at work. You're not busy. You're a busy body. And you would think you were busy by being a busy body. He's saying, no, no, no. Activity does not make you busy. It's not the thing that makes you busy. Not busy at work, but busy body. So here's what, he, here's what he's saying, okay? Instead of working on your own life and working in your life in the world and working to help others around you, you're nosy, and you're worried about what other people are doing. Listen, if we are not working hard in our own life, it's probably because we're worrying about someone else's life. See what I'm saying? I'm so worried about that person's life that I'm actually not focused on my, I'm not working in my life. And this is what Paul is saying, that instead of being a busy body, a gossip, somebody who's always running around this, be busy at work, because the reality is, that if I'm not busy working, then I have to be busy doing something else, okay? If I'm not busy working, then I'll be busy being lazy. Or if I'm not busy working, I'll be a busy body talking. If I'm not busy working and serving, I have to put my attention to something. And so Paul is calling us to put our attention to things that bless and build others up. So this is the connection Paul makes between mind your own business which you have to remember constantly, you're being discipled by the world not to mind your own business, okay? So everybody's opinion matters all the time. Don't mind your own business. Look at all these social media apps. Don't mind your own business. Listen to what other people say. You have to affirm everything everybody believes every three seconds. Don't mind your own business. This is the world you're living in. So if we don't intentionally cultivate the ability to mind our own business, then we will not be the kind of people who mind our own business. The world is not training you to mind your own business, 
The world is training you to be so concerned about what everyone else is doing. The world is training you to build a follower count. The world is training you to constantly scroll. The world is training you to constantly compare. The world is training you to be the best. The world is training you to fight for your rights. The world is training you to do everything except mind your own business. And the people of God ought to be different. The power of a normal life is to be quiet and focused. The third one is diligent. Look what he says. So work with your hands as we instructed you. So like I said before, in the Greek culture of the time, the reason why he has to say work with your hands is because they began to demean the value of hard labor. Because Greek culture would say, well, the upper echelon is to be a philosopher or whatever kind of leader. To avoid working with your hands was better. And so they began to distinguish these things to say, well, here's a better way to live your life. And Paul is coming back and saying, being a hard worker and working with your hands and even technically getting your hands dirty and working to cultivate the earth is a very holy and good calling. Paul wants to affirm the value of hard work. Now, I began to consider what does this look like in an age, you know, where everything can be done on your computer. I mean, uh, some of y'all, I'm sure, grew up on a farm or something. Those do exist. Obviously, out there somewhere in the world, we got to get our food from somewhere. And so there's lots of people who still do things like this. Uh, but many of you work with a computer. You work in an office, things like that. What does it look like to work with your hands? And I, I, think, I think there's two thoughts, at least. I, I think you should think this through. But at least two things I, I came up with. The first is that you should still work with your hands. I think that's still true. You should find something to cultivate. And that, even if that's doing the dishes, planting a garden, you know, serving, picking up your kids, you know, whatever, you should work, you should use your hands and it should require hard work. Like use your hands to do something hard. Use your body to do something hard. You know what I'm saying? I think that's still some value in that. There's some real value in sweat. There's some real value in a thorn in your hand, you know. There's some real value in disciplining your body. There's some real value in doing things you don't want to do. There's some real value in menial tasks that feel below you, you know. There's some real value in that. And I think with our ability, and especially maybe some of us financially, to avoid doing those things, it's actually making us a type of person. And it's just something to look out for. I think it's something to be aware of. And so work with your, find something to do with your, with your body, with your hands. Find a way to cultivate something or to make something or to build something or to help someone. Like use your hands. Be the guy who always helps someone move, you know, which is my worst, my least favorite thing ever. I would never do that. But, but maybe I should, you know, maybe the Lord's convicting me right now. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So you don't have to go be a farmer, but be a helper, you know, use your hands. Okay. Use your hands. Go home and use your hands. Bless your family. Bless, bless those around you. Serve your friends. You know what I'm saying? So I, I think you should just think that through. You should use your hands. It should require sweat and some hard work, all right? I think that's true and that any of us who try to avoid those things, we're probably becoming something we don't want to become. That's one thing. I think it's still practically true, even if you spend most of your day on a computer. You're still using your computer and stuff too, okay? So there's some nuance to this. You guys are mature. I want you to think this out, okay? Uh, so that's the first thing. You work with your hands, sweat, find something to cultivate, get some wear and tear on your body, discipline your body, do things like that. Work hard, okay? There's lots of value in that. Uh, but to work with your hands is also, I think, a connotation for simply working hard and to give your attention and focus to doing well and to blessing the world around you. Paul was upset that the world around them could possibly look at a group of Christians and call them lazy. 
And that was, Paul was like, oh, no, 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 no. I mean, Paul was definitely not lazy. And so he was trying to cultivate to say, do hard work. So the first thing I think is practically work with your hands. Find some ways to, to do that in the world, okay? The second thing, though, is just to work hard at whatever you do. To be a person who works hard. Don't be the Christian that shows up late every day to work. Don't be the Christian that leaves earlier than everyone else. Don't do that. Be of somebody who gives themselves totally to it. Work hard. Work hard. Be excellent at what you do to the best of your ability. It doesn't mean you'll be the best. God never asks you to be the best, but he just asks you to work hard. Work hard at what you do. Work hard to serve your family. Work hard at your job. Work hard to help others. Work hard to serve the community. Work hard at church. And he's just telling us that, hey, heaven's going to be long, and you'll be chill there, right? So just work hard. Now, that doesn't mean you don't rest. That doesn't mean you don't take breaks. Of course not. But it is saying we need to work hard. So use your hands, work hard. And just in general, he's saying you need to work hard. Now, here's the key. Here's the connection. You can't work hard if you can't mind your own business. This is the connection. You can't work hard at your job if you're always thinking about a different job. You can't work hard at your job if you wish you had that person's job. You can't work hard in your yard by just looking at pictures of nice yards, you know? You can't work hard in your family when you're thinking about someone else's family and how they do things. You can't work hard in your life, in your job, if your friends, in your church, if all you're thinking about is someone else's. How can you work hard if you can't focus? This is the thing. Mind your own business. Why? So you can give everything to the place where you are. What good does it do your family for you to be thinking about other families? What good does it do your church to be comparing it to another church? What good does it do your job to always be thinking about another job? How could you give yourself to something if you're always thinking about something else, comparing to something else, wishing something else? The grass is greener somewhere else. It could be better somewhere else. Well, let me remind you something. You go everywhere you go, and the problems you have now, you're going to have somewhere else. I get so tired. Stop trying to avoid everything. Okay, your, your boss is mean. Okay, welcome to the world. You know, like, this is a reality. I remember when I was landscaping, my boss was like, he would get in my nose and like yell at me. You know, I'm like, what are you doing, bro? But you know what I learned in that moment was how to submit, how to stay focused, how to do my own work, how to be patient, how to love your enemies. How are you supposed to learn to love your enemies if you can't love your boss who's, who's rude to you? And may find another job. I'm not saying you should stay there forever. Maybe they're being verbally abusive, all those things, okay? Sure, find another place. But, 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 don't run away from every difficult thing in front of you. How can you work hard if you can't mind your own business? This is the connection. If you're so worried about how someone else's life is going, someone else's church is going, someone else's job is going, someone else's house looks, someone else's kids, how they behave. If you're so worried about all those things, you can't mind your own business and you'll never cultivate the life you want to live because you're so focused on other people's lives. You don't get the outcome. You see what I'm saying? The life you want to live comes from your investment in it, not your investment in someone else's. 
So you're not even going to get there. You're going to be frustrated, looking around. I'm not making any progress. Well, I wonder why. It's because you keep looking at other people's lives instead of living your own, investing in your own, blessing your family, blessing your church, blessing your work, blessing your neighborhood, serving where you are, in the day that you have, with the time and place that God has given you. Give your whole self to the family you have, the friends you have, the church you're in, the neighborhood you live, the house you keep. Give all yourself to that. And build something wonderful by the power of the Holy Spirit. But you cannot work hard if you cannot mind your own business. And this is the connection, and this is the the thing that's killing us as a world, and especially the younger generations coming up, is that we are just obsessed with comparing, and you'll never build anything beautiful while you're comparing it to something else. You'll never do that. Don't spend your time gossiping so hard that you don't have energy to work hard. Don't spend your time scrolling so hard that you don't have energy to work hard. Some of your habits are negating your ability to work hard. God wants us to give a good reputation to the Lord by being a people of hard work who serve our families well, our neighborhoods well, who self-sacrifice for the good of others just like our Lord did. This is the way of the Christian life. Life should be, in many ways, hard. And heaven is long and will be easy, but life now is hard. And the more you try to run away from that, the less testimony you give to the goodness of God and the hardness of life. Listen, you can spend your life minding other people's business or building your own business. That's the summary of everything I just yelled at you about, okay? And I don't mean business like company, which could be part of it. I just mean your life, you know. You can you just two choices every day. You can spend your life minding other people's business or building your own business. This is important for us at City Light because you can either complain about how things are or build what you think should be. And instead of fostering a complaining spirit, I'd rather build what should be. I think you guys are with us in that to say, who cares? We're not going to get caught up in all the fights of the world around us. We're going to build what we think should be here. And that's all we're going to do. The Lord is going to change the world. He's just asking us to change with our little space, you know? Why get caught up in all the fights about everything? You know what, what kills churches is when they spend time arguing and fighting with other churches about things. What a dumb way to spend your time. You know, comparing all these things, getting caught up in all the politics and all those things. And once again, politics is good, it's healthy. We should, we should be involved in that. But we shouldn't be totally involved just like fighting everything. That's crazy. You can spend time complaining about how things are or you can spend time building what you think should be. And some of you aren't making progress because you're complaining instead of building. You're never gonna get anywhere by complaining about how things are. But God has given you his Holy Spirit. He's given you skills. He's given you a body so that you can build what he thinks should be. What do you think? His prayer is that on your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the responsibility of the church is to build a little piece of heaven here on earth. And we as a church will continue to focus on that. We will mind our own business and we will care for the world around us as it is, but we will not get caught up in the foolishness of all the fights and all the dumb things people are arguing about. That's none of our business. We will not complain about what is, but we will build what should be. And this is how we should act as a church. This is how you should be as a Christian. 
Build, create, love, provide, sacrifice, make, aspire, care, cultivate, grow, work. This is what God is calling us into via the power of the Holy Spirit. Last thing is a respectful life. So here's the end. So quiet, focused, diligent, and here's the final thing, respectful. What? So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So the purpose of a quiet life, honest work, good labor, peaceable living, minding your own business, focused and serving, self-sacrificial, holy, mature, growing, is so that your life can now be a testimony to the Lord. Listen to me. Your reputation is a testimony. The only question is, what is it testifying to? Your reputation at work is a testimony. It is saying something about something. The question is, what is it testifying to? Your reputation in your community is that you're testifying to, is a testimony in and of itself. And Paul is saying that our lives should match our words and should honor Christ and make the gospel look good by the evidence of a life lived in the gospel. It doesn't make the gospel look very powerful to be a Christian and then complain all the time. How does that, it doesn't adorn the gospel, that distracts from the gospel. To be a Christian and to gossip doesn't adorn the gospel, that distracts from the gospel. To be a Christian and to be lazy doesn't adorn the gospel, that distracts from the gospel. And Paul is saying, I want you to live a life that has a reputation so that when the outside world looks in, they may hate what you believe and they may despise you for some of the things that that you hold to, but they can never knock the way you live your life. Say, well, Christians don't care about X, you know, Christians only care about abortion. They don't care about orphans. Well, then let's be the people who care about that. You know what I'm saying? Let's not let them, let's not there be, let's not there be a knock on the way that we live our life. This is what he's after, to say, live a life that has the reputation. Though they may hate what you believe, they cannot slander your life. What a wonderful juxtaposition. Some of us are trying so hard to be relevant, you know, that we're chilling on what we believe so they can like us. But some of us are just so focused on our, our, our other people's lives, we're not living the life God has called us to. But the goal of this whole thing is so that we as a church and you as a family and you as a personal follower of Jesus Christ can have a reputation that honors the Lord so that people may slander what you believe, but they can never slander your life. May that be true about City Light. May that be true about each one of us. So as we close, the question is, does the life you are living point to the gospel? Does it point to the love of God? Does it make the realities of the death and resurrection of Jesus look real and beautiful? Or does it distract from those things? The power of a normal life is quiet, focused, diligent, and respectful. And if you live this way, God will use you for great things. Let me pray for us. Let's respond to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you died on the cross and rose again to pay for all of our gossip and slander and sin and laziness, Lord. Um, thank you, Lord, that we don't earn your favor by doing better at these things, but Christ has already done everything needed for us. And now I pray out of that reality, though, that you would compel us into a life of labor and love, that we would love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbors as ourselves. 
that we would be uniquely weird in this world, that we have cultivated a quiet life. Lord, that we would not be like the world, hurried, frantic, busy, entertained, immature, shallow, but that we would be like you, loving, centered, deep, thoughtful, focused, self-sacrificial. And so, Lord, I pray that whatever level of conviction is needed for all of us, that you would allow us to receive that and grow and become more like you. And thank you that you love us as we grow. You love us in our sin. Thank you for the death and resurrection of Jesus. It gives us confidence that you're already for us, Lord, even as we become more like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's respond to the Lord.